This is War Room Moments, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and most relevant people on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their success into your life and business. War Room Moments is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board. Here's your host, Jason Miller. Hey, welcome to today's episode of War Room Moments. My name is Jason Miller, and I'm your podcast host. And today I have Beth Riley and Tim Jones with us from Grow Good today. Hey, welcome to the show, guys. Hey, hi, Justin. How are you? Awesome. Doing well. Well, I always like to say starting out, I'm horrible at introducing people. So um, our thing at SAB is superpowers. So give us a little bit, your 30-second about you and what your superpowers are over there at Grow Good. Ladies first. Uh, superpowers at Grow Good. Well, um, superpower at Grow Good is talking to people about how they can maximize purpose in their organizations to make their um, recruiting easier, make their retention next to none, and to make sure that they are balancing profit with purpose which is so important in this sustainable world that we're all getting indoctrinated more and more into every day. Nice. Uh, I'm Tim. I, I can also say kia ora because uh, I'm based here in New Zealand or uh, Shamai as I'm half Welsh. Um, so superpowers is clearly languages, uh, but also, yeah, really just um, doubling down on what Beth said, our, our whole mission at Grow Good is to help companies go B Corp and beyond. So to understand the purpose, the contribution that they're making, measure and report the good that they're doing, and then build on that to become the best business that they can be. Yeah. yeah. And we have a ton of fun while we're doing it. There you go. That's all that matters, right? <laughs> if it's not fun, don't do it. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, well, good. That kind of segues into this whole conversation, right? Of on that note of where we are in the cycle of, you know, DE&I and the great resignation, all these things, right? You guys are on the ground floor of all this. So you're seeing it every day. Uh, curious to your input on this conversation um, and what are some things the audience needs to know, right? Yeah, well, there's so many things. So I'm going to let Tim, I'm going to let you kick it off, but I just want right. to circle back around that your name is Jason, not Justin. I called oh, you Justin. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't hear that. <laughs> you got away with it. I've been called a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> And I know your name, to be fair, I mix up Justin's and Jason's, even if I've known them my whole life. So nothing personal. Tomato, tomato. (laughs) Tim, why don't you kick it off since you've been doing this work for for a long, long time. Excellent. So I guess really the, the, the way I see it is there are four main drivers that are leading people to having to consider um, ESG, environment, social, and governance factors in their business. And that is, as Beth has already mentioned, employees. You know, the great resignation, the great rethink, we've all been in through some kind of pandemic lockdown or, or something where we've been forced to stay home and we've walked the dog to within an inch of its life. And whilst we've been doing that, we've been pondering our existence and working out, well, am I doing what I really should be doing? Do I love my business as much as I thought I did? You know, is, is the business on the right track? So, employees and and in that I put you know the leadership or, or executives owners of a company uh, we're all we've all had a big think about what are we doing 
So um, increasingly also, you know, your your ground floor or your, your frontline employees have had time to stop and think about, well, am I in the right job? Is it meaningful? Does it give me everything that I need beyond just a paycheck? Over the last decade or so, increasingly, we're seeing customers. So conscious consumerism. Increasingly, customers want to support brands that can prove they have some kind of meaningful social and or environmental impact or performance beyond just having a great product. So employees um, and customers. The next one is supply chain. So we're definitely seeing bigger companies. And this is interesting. I saw overnight Nestle um, in Europe has now certified as a B Corp. So the Nespresso, um, Nest, sorry, the, the, so the Nespresso, which is like a Nestle sub-brand, the little, do you have those things like the little um, pods. pods? They're now a B Corp. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if over the next few years, if you are a smaller company in the Nespresso supply chain, they will be starting to ask you questions about your social and environmental impact. So we've seen that um, in New Zealand. A great example is Danone. So globally, Danone is a big um, food company. Uh, they are going through certifying their global business units as B Corps. Or one of New Zealand's biggest B Corps is a company called Sinlay, and they do milk powder products, which they sell into Danone supply chain. One of the main forces that led them to look at B Corp was that supply chain pressure from Danone. So Danone sort of saying, look, we're going down this path. We will definitely look upon our supply chain more favorably if you go down this path too. And the last one, which for me is probably the most interesting one, perhaps for, for the business world, is investment. Increasingly, um, institutional investors, private equity, are wanting to look at a business in more than just what's the financial return. It's We want to, we want to see what is your environmental and social impact. So again, Danone was an example of this uh, in Europe. They were given access to cheaper capital so long as they maintained and increased their B Corp scores in certain business units. And we're seeing similar vehicles to that happen and pop up all over the world. So pretty much yeah. every business needs employees, customers, supply chains, and investors. And all four of them are increasingly demanding that you prove the good that you're doing socially and environmentally. Yeah. The, the world has obviously changed a lot, right? And yep. the... The environment inside a company from an employee standpoint has changed a lot. We see it every single day with a lot of the companies we work with. And just on the employee side, right, of people are no longer looking for a job, right? Right. They're looking, they're looking for a lifestyle, right? That's what they're looking for. And they, it's not even so much about the money anymore. It's about what lifestyle can I create? Right. Um, yep. And I know that's kind of that social side of things that people are yearning for. And yes, the pandemic just like exponentially like put it on a rocket ship, right. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, and just shot it off the moon. It's not like we weren't already going there. Right. Right. It was going to get there at some point. Yep. The key, the key with the pandemic is just accelerated at all. Totally. Is what it did. But, I mean, this is an interesting thing in that so your surname is Miller. So mm-hmm. that means that sometime, maybe who knows, however many hundreds of years ago, you had an ancestor who was a miller, whose job it was to mill the, the grain, to create the flour, to feed the village. <laughs> and this is the thing, to the point that there are many names in the modern world, like Cooper, Fletcher, Miller, Shoemaker. Mm-hmm. If you go back you know, a few thousand years, the, the whole idea of purpose and meaning is understanding the contribution that you're making for your tribe or for your village or for your community. And mm-hmm. this is why 
yeah, the, the pandemic has put fuel on this fire or, or put more rocket fuel in, in the spaceship or the rocket ship. But it's, this is why the purpose is always going to be here. It's, it's going to be the thing we gravitate towards because it is in our DNA to do the thing that we're designed to do for the greater good. And so, you know, one of the questions I ask CEOs when I'm doing keynotes or workshops is, um, you know, give me the name of the company that was number three on the NASDAQ in March 2019. Right. No one will know that unless you were that company. But if I ask right. you to name a company or a brand that has done something that's really moved you or has done something really inspirational, you'd be able to name me two or three brands pretty quickly. And mm-hmm. this is this is part of the big transition I think we're in is, is taking the focus off just profit maximization at all costs and having everyone, whether it's you know, CEOs and leaders, if, if you're just running a business and you just focus on the top line number, it's it's actually not that fun. You know, because you, you typically end up compromising your own values and potentially the values of the people around you to chase the money when actually no one cares about the money. People care about that that meaningful day at work, knowing that I've done mm-hmm. something that was worthwhile today. And hey, if that earns a buck as well, well, that's even better. And that's really, you know, what B Corp and, and Purpose is all trying to get companies to, to work out. You, you can have both. You can have profit, but have some meaning and some purpose and look back, you know, as a, as a CEO, in 10, 20 years time when we're all living on Mars or whether Elon's going to give up on that dream now he's running Twitter. Um, you know, we'll be able to look back in 20 years time when we're all in the rest home on Mars going, well, do you remember that time when people just have to profit? That's so crazy. Yeah. yeah, you know, I read yesterday or the day before, I believe it was, that one of the big, finally, finally, this has been happening, happening all over the world, but the CEO of MasterCard has officially tied his comp to his company's ESG performance. That's officially in in oh. in the charter yeah so that was a big press release they came out with and um that they're also moving to recycle all 100 recycled plastic in three years or something for all their plastics so you know the big profitable public companies are it's not just the little mom pop organic you know food shops that are that are doing this you know patagonia is a b corp and when you were talking about the companies that you know are inspiring in terms of how you know their retention level the happiness of their of their employee the culture all of those things you know um stakeholders are the employees you know it's an employee stock option uh you know cooperative those are the kinds of companies that the community you know the population who are driving this change are looking towards as inspiration because millennials are the ones that are demanding these changes more and more. I mean, they're going to be 75% of the workforce. I think one of the studies I saw in a, in, in a very short amount of time. So, yeah. I mean, the, the companies just have no choice, but to address these, these concerns and, and along with culture, I would balance impact. I mean, along with purpose, I would, I would, I would balance impact and balance. Um, and that's to your lifestyle point. Um, you know, balance is very important. Now we see unlimited PTO across the board. That used to be only reserved for the most progressive kind of hippy dippy crunchy companies, right? Unlimited mm-hmm. PTO. Now it's just a given. If you don't have unlimited PTO, not going to be considered by most by you know post pandemic by most of the talent that that are coming out. And also, just another um, note that I read recently, or I was made aware of that big universities like Yale, NYU, Stern School of Business are incentivizing their graduates to go to work for B Corps. 
and are making deals with these B Corps to relieve them of their, their student debt if they choose to work for B Corps upon graduation. And, and you know, I don't want to come back too much to the impact, but impact investing is exploding in this country, exploding. And the money is what drives the change. I mean, to be honest, um, yeah. it always has, and I'm pretty sure it always will, but we're getting closer to, to balance uh, around um, purpose and, and profit. Well, it's interesting because I think so I always try to look at both sides of the coin, right? So what's the good and then what's the challenge, right? So the challenge being a challenge that I would ask, it maybe it's not a challenge, I don't know. But especially when you're you're working with hired gun CEOs, right? So you got hired gun CEOs, they're there for their paycheck, pick it up on the first and the 15th, whatever, right? So you have a CEO that buys in to the concept of this, right? And then how do they really get the board to support? You know what I mean? I mean, there's this disparity there, right? With not so much an owner control businesses, that's not a problem there, but what do you see in the big corp world when it comes to the corporate world on that? Definitely seeing we're in a transition zone. So at the big end of town, a great example of uh, this right now is Unilever. So Unilever um, were in the press a couple of months ago because, um, you know, their shareholders were sort of going, no, Unilever doesn't need to have a purpose. It's just its job is to sell mayonnaise. You know, it, it doesn't matter about having like mayonnaise doesn't need a purpose. But there were there are other institutional investors who are invested in Unilever who are saying no. Unilever, it does need to have a purpose. It does need to have a social and environmental impact whilst it's making its mayonnaise. So I think we're at this great tension point, this great tipping point or transition point where there are some legacy shareholders and CEOs who are like, no, it's just about profit maximization. And and there's still some companies that are focused on that. What we are seeing, though, increasingly is as... um, so there's, there's a number of companies that we're working with to help them become B Corp, where the senior leaders have come to us because their board have told them, you need to do B Corp. And yeah. it wasn't on the CEO's radar fully. And the board are now saying, this is this is a reputational or existential risk to our business if we are not a B Corp, go and investigate it. So we're seeing that. We're also seeing some boards where, um, again, the, the biggest example I can think of it is a New Zealand example. So Sinlay, the former CEO of Sinlay, which is a multi you know, million, if not billion dollar corporation listed company um, in this part of the world. Their former CEO is now a board member of another B Corp in New Zealand. And I believe that's the, in in this part of the world, that is the first inter B Corp transfer of a board member. So we're now starting to see that as we get our first board members who get this stuff and are driving this stuff, they're now going to move into other companies. And so, yeah, we're in a real tipping point. And, And it's the same, you know, when we're working with companies to get them to go through the B Corp, the majority of the companies we're working with are, are on the, the front line of this and, and they get it and they're, they're pretty much already behaving like a B Corp. They just need to capture it and, and prove it. We're starting to get the first few companies we're working with who they're not a B Corp at the minute, but they want to become one. They want to be doing more good. They want to, you know, be better at their social and environmental impact. And they're willing to go on that journey. And so I guess, you know, that's kind of like the three buckets of business at the minute. We've got the, you know, the sort of the leading edge. Yeah, we've already been doing it this way for a few years. We just need to, you know, get the certificate and put a number against it. A middle group who are like, look, we, we realize that we have to go and do this, but we're probably not really ready or set up for it right now. But 
we're going to have to go on a transition. And then the third bucket is the kind of like, you know, la, 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 fingers and ears. Like it's just about making money. And it, it's just going to be about, I look at, um, you know, in the UK, for example, there's now over 700 B Corps in the UK and there's 4,000, just over 4,000 globally. So the UK is absolutely smashing it. And in, in the UK, pretty soon, if you're not on the path to being a B Corp and you're a major brand, there's people are going to be looking at you and going, well, how come? Like, what, what, what are you hiding that you're not willing to go down this journey? Particularly in food and beverage, health and beauty sector. If you're not looking at B Corp right now, in a few months, you're going to be on the shelf left because all the other brands, all your other competitors are going to be doing it. So yeah, we're at a tipping point. But I think this is what boards have to get their head around. You know, if, if you really want to future-proof your business, if you look at all the metrics, and this, this is the irony, if, if you just care about making more money, you should be a B Corp because mm-hmm. the evidence is there that the B Corp um, businesses outperform the market. So we've got data points from the 2009 or post-2009 GFC and also um, just recently uh, from the pandemic. Um, and if you look at um, resilience of the B Corp movement in 2020, 52% of B Corps hired more employees in the middle of a global pandemic. 47% had employee growth of more than um, 15%. And two thirds of all B Corps grew in revenue in 2020. So if you just care about making money, you should look at being a B Corp. If you care about anything else, you should totally be a B Corp. So for me, it's a well, and there's another metric, Tim, that um, I don't have it in front of me, but in the U.S., I think the the metric was around 60% small businesses fail, and on average, and the the number for B corps is 90 to 99% do not fail. So there was a comparison and a study around B Corps versus not B Corps in the first, I just don't remember how many years I'd have to look back, but it was compelling. Yeah. There we go. Slam dunk, mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, the bottom line is if you just focus on profit, you can, you'll make money and you'll last a certain amount of time, but it's just, it's risky business. Because you're going to have churn, you're going to be struggling with. I mean, I mean, don't 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 you want to know why you're doing things beyond just you know? I, I got to believe that, especially after the pandemic, that people want to do work that's aligned with their values. And if their only value is profit, then I don't know if you want to work for that person long term. Um, because it just, after a while, you just feel like, oh, you know, how much is enough? There's, and there's, there's two stats back on that one. So if you are dissatisfied at work, and if you look at typically over the last 10 years, the Gallup poll does an annual employee engagement survey. And, and the statistics around employee engagement are terrible. It's something about, I think it's only about 16% of employees would consider themselves to be engaged in the workforce. So if you are dissatisfied in your work, there's only a 1% chance of having total overall life satisfaction. And that's quite harrowing to think that we, we know that employee engagement is generally really low globally. So that kind of, which, you know, all of this, it feeds into so much other stuff. It feeds into the mental health crisis. It feeds into opioid addiction. It feeds into all the, you know, well, not all, but a lot of supplemental challenges that we're facing in the US, New Zealand, the UK, other sort of Western democratized nations where we've, you know, we've never had it so good, but we've never felt so bad 
you know, we've got all this stuff. We can go, you can go on Amazon right now and go and buy anything that you want. And it'll, in the US, it's probably going to be delivered there before you've even clicked purchase, you know, but so what? We don't feel much better for it. The other stat was um, a YouGov survey from the UK where this was from about 2018, I think it was 2019. It was about 37% of, of British employees surveyed said that their job provided them with no meaning. And in fact, they considered that their job was con- was contributing to destroying the planet. So that's almost 40% of the average worker is going to going to work, you know, commuting for an hour, two hours, sitting in their car on the on the tube, on the metro, on the bus, hating their job and and having literally having the existential crisis that I'm probably blowing up the planet whilst I'm doing it. Well, is that employee going to be engaged at work? No, they're going to be looking for shortcuts. They're going to be looking for the next job as soon as it comes along. Whereas if you have that sense of purpose and meaning and you can prove the good that you're doing, which is why we, I do call it purpose-fueled with one or two else, depending on how you like it, um, purpose-fueled performance, because it is like this nuclear fission material that if you get it into the you know the beating heart of your company, it just solves so many problems. But it's, it's the one that most CEOs and boards haven't considered because it is a little bit woo-woo. <laughs> yeah. Well, and on the same note, we're, see, we're, I think we're like, probably we're in one of the biggest shifts that we're ever going to be in. And that's because the boomers are going out, right? Yep. So that means the Gen X's are coming in, right? And now, so we're still, I'm a, cause I'm a Gen X, right? So it's like, I have half of their philosophy, right? Yep. <laughs> cause I, I grew up in that philosophy but then I was also exposed to a lot of the new philosophy. So yep. it's bridging that whole gap now, right? Totally. Of, of how, because yep. I have two daughters. They're both, uh, one's a millennial, the other's, uh, well, no, I don't know. Gen They're Z. 20, yeah, Gen Z, right? And they think way differently than I do. <laughs> They're what what they consider quality of life is way different than what I think quality of life is, right? For me, I get up, have a cup of coffee, sit in the rocking chair, read a book for ten minutes. That's quality of life. That's not what they look at as quality of life, right? Um, it's just a different train of thought. And if we're not coming around to that at some point, and we are a employee based business, I think you're you're right that we're we're going to see. We're going to see a lot of impact from that, for sure. Yeah, and I know we didn't even go into what a B Corp is, but I I just want to sum it up by the whole premise behind the B Corp movement is for business to leave the world a better place than when they found it. It's a regenerative, aspirational model um, with very practical stage steps to go through so that you can feel good about doing good versus, you know, bad, to, to just put mm-hmm. it bluntly. Doing good is good business, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it makes sense. And it makes sense. You know, this is yeah. the thing. It's like, there's, I've yet to see any evidence as to why you shouldn't put purpose into your business. And, and to, to help you measure your purpose, B Corp is the best stepping stone because it, it makes the ethereal tangible. It's like, what good are we doing in our business? It looks across your business, across your governance. So who owns your business? How transparent is the business? What reporting do you do beyond just internal financial reporting? Do you have code of ethics? It looks at your workers. So what benefits beyond what are state or federally mandated do you provide your workers? Um, do you provide training and development? 
It looks at your community. So that's partly your diversity and inclusivity. It looks a little bit at your supply chain, um, looks at your charitable donations and any uh, community uh, work that you do. Um, big um, bonuses if you're so, if you're sourcing uh, any um, supply chain locally and from independent suppliers. Uh, it looks at your environmental impact, which at the high level is your energy usage, your water usage, and your carbon emissions. So pretty high level. And achievable for most companies. And then lastly, your customer model. So what is it you're making and who who benefits from it? So it, it really is. And for me, this is why I think if, if ESG, you know, if, if, if any of these pressures are being put on your business, I'm doing a, a, um, a webinar later on today uh, for the Asia Pacific market on ESG in the real estate sector. And ESG in the real estate sector is apparently it's quite a new thing. And they're all scrabbling to work out, well, what is it? How do we measure it? Be cool. It's easy. It is an ESG framework that will give you a baseline as to what you're doing and where you're doing it well, and a framework for you to look at where could we be doing better. It's, yeah. yeah, it is. It is extremely plug and play framework like that. And for for your audience, for for the audience of this podcast, it was started by B Lab, which in the United States in 2006, uh, and and was was born out of uh, trauma around 9/11. So you can read the story. Um, about how B-Lab started. B-Lab administers the B Corp certification. So their nonprofit B Corp is for only for for-profit companies. Um, so you think of it like LEED certification in building or the Energy Star certification in appliances. Uh, B Corp is the you know, de facto standard for certification for companies that put their their ESG and sustainability goals, um, you know, bring it to task, actually put some teeth to it, not just put up pretty websites that talk about their sustainability goals. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, all great topics of discussion for sure. And just to kind of segue the conversation here a bit, um, part, part of the, part of the reason for this, this podcast too, is, you know, Yes, we have all this effect on so many things, but but the new generation coming up has to be able to get there, right? And we have an opportunity to, an opportunity to affect that um, through sharing business struggles that we've gone through. We all have buckets full of them, right? And so, what is one business struggle that uh, you've been through, and how did you overcome it? Right. What could you share? What could you go back and tell your earlier self? This is going to happen. This is how you need to fix it. I think the, the big lesson for me would be just clarity on who you're serving. Mm -hmm. So when I started Grow Good back in 2016, my background's in sales. I was in medical device sales. And so when I started my business, it was pretty much 100% focused on sales training for not-for-profits, other B Corps, mission-driven, like a business or an entity that's trying to make the world a better place. Let's let's get you better at selling so that you kind of beat your non-purpose-driven peer. And that was kind of okay. But then I also had the purpose stuff that I wanted to do. And then I had the B Corp stuff that I wanted to do. And really, it, it's been funny because Beth and I met in a, in a, a marketing coaching group that we we're a part of. And it was working with a marketing coach who gave me some real clarity. And he's like, well, what's what's working really well right now? I said, well, this B Corp thing, like everyone's, that's where we're getting all the inbound stuff from. He's like, well, lead with B Corp. The rest is all like a pull through, like it's an upserve. And I'm like, well, that's genius, you know, but it'd been right in front of me for six years. But, you know, so I, I guess two parts would be have coaches and people supporting you 
because you will not see the wood for the trees. However hard you think you're looking, you will not see the wood for the trees because you just cannot see your own BS because you're too close to it. And the second part would be get just get really clear on who and what you can serve and what with and get a, a really clear offer. And I think now we're at the point where I feel we have the most compelling business offer that it's it's literally you would have rocks in your head if you said no to it. And and I, I think we're we're maybe not 100%, but I, I'd say I'm like 95% confident that, that our, the offer that we have for clients is that solid that you'd feel dumb if you said no. And I think if you can feel that way as a business owner, you can sleep pretty well at night. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, Yeah, we did meet in a mastermind group that um, we're technically, we're still in it. I don't think it ever ends. (laughs) It's like Hotel Um, California. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, being able to be disciplined around your niche um, and having that clarity to develop a very, very straight line value proposition. Um took a lot of iteration uh, for for me when I first started my consulting business. And, you know, it's iterated to the point where I went, you know, from straight up business advisory around how to develop clear communications. I had to put my own stuff on myself and, um, you know, realize that it would, one of the things was, you know, I tried to go it alone, you know, without help. And then when I met Tim and the thing, I was like, I would be stupid to try to do this alone. Why don't I see if we can, if we can link up together, because it's going to get me much more traction, much more quickly in the market that I serve over here in North America, rather than me trying to learn it all and do it all on my own. So I think, you know, lesson learned there is to make sure that you're able to recognize the opportunity and maybe kind of have the discipline to maybe get out of your own way to, to make those sometimes hard, but really smart decisions. Yep. It's a very, very common one for yes. sure. Yeah. Is we all get in our own damn way. Sometimes mm-hmm. it just happens. Why? Cause it's our baby. You're like, Oh my God, I can't let go all these things. And then somebody comes along and says, Hey, you're screwing it up. And then you get all offended. And, and it's like, Oh my yeah. God. Like I can help you. No, I don't need your help. I've got right? this. Like, yeah. Yeah. I got Nobody it. wants no, to be told yeah. they have a baby when it's yeah. their own. Yeah, yeah. When you're doing yeah. it for someone else, it's like, Oh, that's someone else's. Yeah. yeah. I, I love going to sleep at 3am. Leave me alone. I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always Simple. love it. I yeah. always love it when somebody that I interact with, they'll say, I'll ask them, Oh, well, you got any, any business struggles? And they're like, no, we're all good here. Like, come on, man. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're a unicorn then. Yeah. yeah. What's the secret? Yeah. <laughs> can you, you can package that and sell it for billions of dollars. Please do. Please do tell. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Awesome. Well, hey, I like to close out with this question. If you could pick someone that could have been on the call today with us, dead or alive, mentor, friend, whatever the case may be, who would you chose to be here and what question would have you asked them? I'm going to go for it. Ladies first again. Oh, I really, I really, really, um, man, oh, man, oh, Shevitz. I would, well, okay, alive. Um, you know, I, I am a follower of Brene Brown. I would have loved to have had her in the room with us just to validate our 
um, our comments around purposeful leadership and how the leaders and those hired guns that you talked about, um, Jason, would just won't last. It's a it's a risky business to to go with that kind of a structure and in your hierarchy and not to insist that a culture be be curated from the top. So I think as a global you know expert who's worked with all of the biggest you know Fortune you know fifty CEOs and and beyond. Her her um, opinion on B Corp and what we're doing would have been interesting to me. Tim, um, what do you think? I don't know. I, I mean, before uh, we started the podcast, I sort of dropped a name into the mix. I probably get still. Uh, so I studied medieval history at university, and so mm-hmm. that is like Europe ten hundred to twelve hundred, and um, brief uh, English history lesson for those who might have forgotten it. Um, 1066, Battle of Hastings, Norman Conquest, William the Conqueror. One of my ancestors, Guillaume de Halsall, was a Norman knight who fought at the Battle of Hastings. And I didn't know that when I studied that for my dissertation. And I just think that's kind of freaky that out of all the periods of history that I chose to study, I chose a period and I did a comparison. You probably, I'll try and get my thesis. I'll send it over. I did a comparison of William the Conqueror and Harold, the King of England, uh, like a military comparison. You know, who should have won basically? based on the, the comparative advantages and disadvantages of the two sides. I, I'd love to go and meet that ancestor who fought at that battle, was one of the victors, and who was then given a small town in the northwest of England, which he then named Horsall, which is where our, my mum's side of the family is from. I think that would be a pretty interesting conversation. Drink some mead with him, a few glasses of wine, get some pheasants and some ducks. And, you know, <laughs> what was it all about, Guillaume? Tell us about it. What's the meaning of life? <laughs> yeah, all right. So do you still own that town? <laughs> I wish, I wish. I, I feel like there's got to be some website I can go to and go like, you know, find out where I am a lord of. Yeah, it's yeah. like there's got to be claim, some claim, claim somewhere. Claimmytown.com. <laughs> <laughs> there probably is. I'm going to Google it right after this call. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's too funny. Well, hey, how do people get a hold of you guys to talk to you about B Corp and you know get filled with some some goodness. Yeah. So easiest place is the website, which is just growgood.co. Beth and I are both active on LinkedIn. Come and find us. If you just search Tim Jones or or Beth Riley, grow good on LinkedIn will pop up. We'll also get a link maybe to you, um, Jason. We've got an ebook, which is basically the why, what, and how of B Corp certification. So it covers off a lot of the stuff we talked about, plus a bit more, um, gives you some of the real ins and outs of what B Corp is all about. So we'll make sure that we get a link sent to you that, that people can register for that and get a copy of that sent to them. But um, yeah, if if you can't find Grow Good or, or me or Beth on the internet, the internet is broken. <laughs> <laughs> that means, oh, what's that cartoon with, uh, what's his face? Ralph breaks the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Challenge accepted. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah. It depends what Elon does with the internet today. He might, he yeah. might actually break the internet. Mm, today, he ain't, good, ain't good, break yeah. it. Never know. <laughs> well, hey, Beth and Tim, thanks for being here today. Uh, you know, really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your schedule to be here. I know time is precious. It's more precious than money. That's for sure. Um, and again, just thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Jason. Appreciate it. Awesome. Well, well, Hey, thank you for tuning in today to this episode of War Room Moments. Again, always remember, dream it, believe it, then go be corporate. Woo.
Ooh, I love it. Ah, Boom, ching. There you go. Cheers. All right. <laughs> this is Jason Miller, your podcast host, signing off. Thanks for listening to War Room Moments with your host, Jason Miller. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.